As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? One-on-one conversations with some of your favorite artists. Find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks. A podcast for when you absolutely, positively got to entertain every movie fan in the room. It's Sifpa. That live from a, a bunker thing, it gets it gets more real and real every day, huh? <laughs> oh wow, we've we've got the distortion on again. We've got it on again. <laughs> Welcome I'm to Sifpa. No, no. Come back, Andrew. Come to the surface. Come to the surface. Uh, welcome to Sif Pop Weekly. We're streaming live most weekends or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. <laughs> Patrons get those perks. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he's asking the filming questions here, Private. Do you understand? It's Andrew Ormsby. Hey, yeah, do uh, <laughs> And each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. Uh, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're out of the water, Andrew. I'm glad oh, that uh, you've made your way to the surface. And I dried off immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We are. You don't uh, have to worry about me getting my bunker over here soaked with water. Man, it is. It is bunkers for everybody these days. Uh, yeah. It is bonkers for bunkers. We are we are all bonkers for bunkers. Uh, Andrew and I chatted a little bit about our uh, self isolation and how that's going for our members in the pre show. Uh, yeah. The summary of that is we're doing good. We're doing fine. We're holding up. Everybody's healthy. We hope the same is true for you. Uh, we're glad to continue producing Sif Pop uh, as long as we can remotely. Andrew's got his internet up and running at his new house, and so we're yeah. able, able to start recording again remotely, and we will continue to do that uh, for as long as we can. 
Um, we have decided to do for the show while movie theaters are shut down, we're going to do sift shames and basically how that's going to work is we're going to force each other to watch movies from our list of shame, (laughs) uh, movies we should have already seen that we haven't seen. And, uh, this week we're going to be doing, um, you know, what, what do we say? Like movies from masters, you know, directors who are considered yeah. masters and pieces of their filmography that we haven't seen. So we'll get into that uh, here in a little bit. We've also got the um, buried, excuse me, buried treasure that we do. And we'll also pick our sift shame movies for next week. So we will uh, announce those once we were done uh, reviewing the ones from this week. Uh, does all that make sense, Andrew? If you think that's totally all right. All right. I think this is going to be fun. I think we'll oh, have a yeah. good time. You want to tell everybody what our two movies we're going to be reviewing this week are? Well, yeah. Let's do it this way since it's the first week. Um, okay. Let's each uh, announce the movie we've picked for the other person and kind of talk about uh, some of the reasons why we picked that movie. And, Andrew, I'll let you go first. Okay. Well, I went uh, just so everybody knows, we sent each other our list of shame. And uh, we just went through and I'm like, oh, I can't believe you've seen that movie. And there's a movie on my list and there's a movie on Aaron's list that <laughs> we're saving. We'll just say we're saving those movies. <laughs> yes. Uh, because it's going to be huge for both of us. Um, yeah. But as I was going through your list, um, a movie that gets brought up a lot, surprisingly, uh, that I was surprised you hadn't seen because obviously it's on your list of shame. But yeah, we we're talking about masters, and I think that this guy is definitely a master. Your movie was Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Kubrick. Jacket. I've seen bits and pieces of this, which I think will be the case with a lot of these movies on our list of shame, just because, you know, if they're famous movies, obviously we love movies enough that we've seen parts in montages and clips yeah. and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That kind of makes it a little more interesting, too, right? Where it's like, oh, now I'm seeing kind of the fullness of what was presented here when I've really the only known bits and pieces. All. Yeah, the context. The context is is so huge. So, yeah. So, Full Metal Jacket will be on the review list for, day, for today. I looked through Andrew's list of shame, and there were a lot of juicy morsels in there that I'm, I'm just <laughs> ready to make Andrew watch. Um and uh, I landed on a movie by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Andrew hadn't seen Jackie Brown, and many people consider Jackie Brown Quentin's best movie or one of his best. Usually, it's that and Inglorious that kind of get mentioned in there. Um, yeah. And so I figure we make Andrew watch Jackie Brown, and this is a little bit of an interesting one because I'm—it's not like I'm a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino or even this movie, but I did think it was a valuable one to talk about since you'd never seen it before. Yeah. And we can kind of talk about it together. So, that's which one why are we going to start with? It's a good question. Um, what do you think? I'll let you decide. I, s- I say we start with Full Metal Jacket. All right, get get the uh, get the comedy, you know, the light comedy, fluffy movie, you know, out of the way first. Sure. Uh, yeah. The the, yeah. the feel good movie. Get the feel good movie <laughs> done first. Yeah. Oh man, Arlie Ermy is so funny. Actually, he he is he is actually kind of funny in this movie, but. In a cynical, horrifying way, he's funny. All right, let's get into it. We're going to review Full Metal Jacket. I am your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir! 
You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. Stanley Kubrick's take on the Vietnam War follows smart aleck Private Davis, quickly christened Joker by his foul-mouthed drill sergeant, and pudgy Private Lawrence, nicknamed Gomer Pyle, as they endure the rigors of basic training. Though Pyle takes a frightening detour, Joker graduates to the Marine Corps and is sent to Vietnam as a journalist, covering and eventually participating in the bloody Battle of Hue. Um... Yeah, I, let's say this right up front. Because we're dealing with older movies and movies that are on our list of shame, meaning they've been seen by a lot of people, we're mm-hmm. not going to avoid spoilers in our discussion oh, and yeah. review. Um, I wanted to make that clear because even though a movie is 50 years old, uh, you may not have seen it and you may not want to be spoiled on it, um, but we are going to talk fully about these movies, assuming that for the most part our audience has taken part in them or can, you know, go watch them and come back later. Does that make sense? I think we can do that. Yeah, because it would give the people the opportunity to feel like they're a part of the podcast as well. Yeah. Like we're yeah. not just doing it something for, you know, oh, we're just going to be very basic about this. No, the reason we're talking about because it it's on our list of shame, a lot of people have seen it. It's not like it's a fresh movie that just came out. Yep. Uh, how I'd like to start this off is the person whose list of shame it is on uh, needs to defend themselves. Say why they've never seen it, why it's on their list of shame. You know how explain yourself, Mister, kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I think that's a good place to start. Full Metal Jacket came out in 1987. Uh, I was 12 years old at the time, and it was a little too old for me, especially growing up in the the home that I did. Uh, you could say the content is a little much for anyone, let alone a 12-year-old. It's a rough movie. Uh, it's a rough movie, and that's true for a lot of the movies on my Sift uh, Shame, on my list of shame. They're just movies that I wasn't allowed to watch, and then by the time I really started watching movies, I had so much to catch up on that some stuff just falls through the cracks. And uh, this is definitely one of them. Add to that the fact that I'm not a huge Kubrick guy. Like, I, I recognize his gift, his talent. I recognize his artistry. But when I watch The Shining or um, 2001 or, you know, whatever the case, whatever it might be, um, I don't connect to his movies very well. I always come away from them going, uh, um, oh, I get it. I get why people who love Kubrick like that movie, but it's just not for me. That's usually how I come out of Kubrick movies. And so add that reason to the other reason, and it's just something I've never you know, gotten around to, to checking out. What was your first experience with this, with this movie? When did you see it first? Uh, I think I saw it uh, either my sophomore or junior year in high school. Um, my family, from a very young age, did not shy away from having me watch very horrifying movies. I think I was uh, eight or nine whenever The Ghosts in the Darkness came out. Oh, yeah. So I got to see Val Kilmer fight a bunch of man-eating lions in a very R-rated movie. I saw uh, A Clockwork Orange whenever I was like in middle school. I've seen some Dude. horrifying stuff late, like really early. Speaking of uh, movies on my uh, list of shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, it's something that I saw. Maybe it's because neither of my parents were in the military, but they were both military brats. So they were always having us watch like military movies and stuff like that. And um, I had a couple uncles that served in Vietnam and stuff like that. Uh, it's just a, 
I'll say this. Uh, when, the first time I saw it, I didn't appreciate it as much because I don't think I understood the subtleties and stuff or the references, you know, just because I was so young. Yeah. But when I watched it later on, um, I still remembered, you know, certain parts like the first half is boot camp and the second half is actually in Vietnam and stuff like that. I'll say this just right off the bat. This is two movies wrapped in one. I think it's two Yeah, it really movies. is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just something that I saw really young, but then when I saw it later on, I really appreciated what was being done. So it's, uh, 33 years old, this movie. Um, it's... Like uh, me. Yeah. Hey, it was born the same year you were. Yeah. Um, and I don't, here's the thing. Here's one of the positive things about Kubrick movies. They don't, they don't age poorly. They age really well. Uh, there's something about the way he shoots and just kind of his, um, his eye that, uh, you know, it doesn't feel, it only feels dated because the material is dated, if that makes sense. And honestly, you know, he was 1987 and he was shooting, you know, the, the, what, the late 60s, early 70s, right? That was Vietnam, wasn't it? My history may be off a little bit. Yeah. But so he's, it's he, really early 60s. So yeah, you're good. Okay. So he's, he is shooting uh, a period piece in a lot of ways. And it, it's convincing enough for me that it feels like it was done during that time. You know what I mean? Even though it was done, you know, decades later. So. Um, it's, you know, he, his movies do age very, very well. That's one of the first things that I noticed. Yeah. I think that it's, it, a lot of it comes down to, he knew who to cast for a realistic performance because every single one of his movies you can look at. And, you know, there's some movies from like the sixties and the fifties and seventies where, you know, there, there was a style to a performance, you know, where it wasn't really real. But, you know, it was more theatrical. I think that Kubrick was really good about picking people who were very realistic with their performances. And that really lends itself to an agelessness for the movie. All right. So here's what I would like to do. Uh, since okay. you're the one who has seen it, I would like to know, did you, the first time you saw it as a kid, did you like it, love it, <laughs> think it was okay, hated it, or uh, uh, did I say them all? Like it, love it, yeah. Dislike like it, it, love it, it hate okay. it, just okay. Yeah. Um, I liked it. it. I liked it the first time because I thought Arlie Ermey was funny, but once it got to actually into Vietnam, I kind of zoned out. But uh, the first that was the first time I saw it. Yeah. And uh, upon rewatch, when's the most recent time you've seen it? Ah, uh, probably last year, sometime. Okay. Um, yeah. It was and what are your TV. feelings on it now? Oh, it's a top hundred movie of all time. It's number eighty six right. on my list. So you love it? Oh God, yeah. Now that I can go back and appreciate everything that was going on, especially what was going on with Vincent D'Onofrio and how he did not get a nomination, is beyond me. Um, I am going to then say, going into this, I thought it would be just okay for me just knowing my history with Kubrick and yeah. I came out the end of it, liking it. I don't love this movie, um, but I, there is a lot to really respect about this. And I think it's possibly the most accessible Kubrick film I've seen so far. And again, I haven't seen several of them. So, um, yeah. you know, it feels very uh, authentic in many ways, which is difficult for me for the way Kubrick shoots because he shoots in a very, uh, manufactured way a lot of times he will use 
uh, cuts and characters in a way that that feel a little uh, forced to me. And this movie of his movies uh, felt more authentic and more fluid. Um, so I did end up liking it, and I can go more into detail on some of the things uh, that I did like about it. I did just look up the Vietnam War, and man, was that war long. It did go all the way into the mid-70s. It went all the way to 1975. Oh, yeah. So until, uh, until the Iraq War, it was the longest war America ever fought. Yeah. So, man. Um, okay, so yeah, let's go into some details of uh, why you love this movie, why I like this movie. I guess I'll start, since you, you probably have m- many more gushing things yeah, to yeah. say about it. And I already know What'd you one, like about it? I already know one huge disagreement I'm going to have with you, so teaser. Uh, we'll set that up for later. Cool. Uh, but, um, but yeah, what I like about it is the second uh, movie. I like the second half. I like the the Vietnam stuff, and the reason I like it is, many people know this about me, um, I call myself a pacifist. What that means in reality, I don't know, because honestly, I've never had to be in any kind of violent or war situation. So without that happening to me, I can only say what I believe, not necessarily what I would do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But, but I know uh, what I what in my heart I believe is that I couldn't do that. Like, I, I just couldn't hurt someone it's just it's very hard for me to to see myself doing that this movie uh you know certainly um it 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 solidified me in that thought process (laughs) like this is a movie especially the second part of the movie that's just like guys this is what war this is what war is and this is how ugly it is and this is how awful it is and you know the the final moments of this movie are about someone having to end the life of a soldier child um, to put them out of their misery because they've already been shot, and then a group of soldiers singing the Mickey Mouse Club theme song walking through a burning field. And it's like the juxtaposition of all that stuff is just, it's so intentional and it's so beautiful. And when I say beautiful, I just mean meaningful. It's just such a meaningful way to go, is this who we want to be as humans? Right? Like, is this the position we want to put ourselves in as human beings that we strip our humanity away from us um, in this way? And yeah, I, I was, of all the Vietnam War stuff I've seen, those final moments with the sniper and their reaction to the sniper, the intensity of the sniper, the, uh, you know, the fact that they really. They had a commanding officer who was telling them to do the right thing, which he's seen this before, is just trying to draw them out, but they can't do it because they can't leave their guy. Like, and it's just, it's really well done. I really, yeah. the last 15, 20 minutes of this movie are pretty spectacular. No, I totally agree. And like I said, it was just the first time I saw this movie when I was younger. I, I appreciated the first half more. But right. the second time I saw it, I really understood all the the ins and outs of what was happening in the second half. And I I love I love both halves of this movie actually obviously. Yeah. Um, so. As far as performances go, uh, I was nice to see Adam Baldwin uh, pop in there. Um, I love Adam you know. Baldwin in this movie. Matthew Modine holds it together pretty well as Joker. Um, I think the standout is Arlie Ermy, of course. I just think yeah. he's and he just is that drill sergeant. And there's a reason that that character has almost become the epitome of what military, you know, sergeants are in our mind. Uh, it's because he's so astonishing. Uh, Do you in know his the role. story behind that? The whole thing with Arlie Ermey? You know, I think I've heard it, but go ahead and tell it again. So uh, Arlie Ermey was not cast as the drill sergeant initially. 
he was a uh, uh, what what do they call it? like a a professional advisor that they brought in because he was in real life a drill sergeant and um, he was there to talk to the actor who was initially going to portray his part but uh, Kubrick ended up liking the authenticity that Arlie Ermey brought so he just said you know what you just do the role because the other guy's really not getting it but you get exactly what I'm looking for and it's real so Arlie Ermey got the role that he was literally born to play wow yeah that's I think I had heard that that's it's so great it's such a great yeah. story um, and now it bring now we come to our disagreement, my friend. Um, is it Vincent D'Onofrio? I think that performance is so over the top. I didn't buy it for a second. Um, it it was one of those things that I just could not lock into. In the first forty five minutes of this movie, is basically the story of him and Joker. Yeah, and more him. Um, you know, not uh, not having what it takes to get through basic training and as much as i loved arlie ermy's performance um that whole 45 minutes just felt very repetitive and uh, almost false to me uh and part of this i wonder is coming to it late is you know that so many things have uh, copied that or done things like that that it now feels almost like it's a parody of itself uh, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's partly it. I can't help that psychological part, but especially towards the end when he's, you know, given his psycho looks or whatever, um, I really, I really was just kind of rolling my eyes and I know that's oh, awful. Wow. I, yeah, I know. I know. I, but I'm just giving you an honest kind of take on, on what that was doing to me. And I, I was just like, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't buy it. So oh, that's, it, was, that's, it was rough. That's so interesting because every single time I see the, the, final scene with him in the bathroom you know at night yeah um and he just gives that look that that smile with his head turned down it gives me chills every single time i see that scene yeah but Um, it's too hannibal lecter like it's like he just was never human to me maybe that's part of it mm, interesting yeah Uh, there's there's this thing I yeah, I think it does have something to do with humanity. I I think and and maybe that's kind of the point of the movie is that they're stripping these people of their humanity. Yeah. But it's it, it, I don't know. There's this weird narration that happens like four times in the movie where uh, Joker's character narrates. It happens at the beginning. It happens uh, you know in between the sections, and it happens at the end as well. And I assume that's because he's a journalist, and it's like supposed to be him writing about his experience. But it, it, I don't know. That was the, those were the only moments I had to genuinely connect with any of those characters in the first 45 minutes were those small pieces of, of narration because you know, nobody was, I, I don't know. I didn't feel like it was at least 20 minutes before there was anything other than drill sergeanting. The first 20 minutes of this movie is just, it's like you're in basic training. Exactly. And I just, I, I just wasn't connecting to anybody. So I just, I didn't have, I don't know. It, it was it was a weird experience for me. I was like, after forty five minutes, I was like, oh no, I'm not gonna like this movie, and Andrew's gonna hate me. And <laughs> uh, I, I know this is this is more broad than you know for this movie in general, but I I, I do want to say that I'm not gonna be disappointed or angry for any of the movies on your list of shame that I absolutely love. I'm not obviously you know each to their own. So I don't want you to feel any pressure to say you like something. And I know you're a professional, so I know you're a professional and you wouldn't. But uh, yeah, so 
and don't, I, and don't I feel come the into same this way. like, oh no, I'm going to tear away, apart Andrew's movie or something like that. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I and I feel the same way. And honestly, I think what we will find, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think it is difficult to come to something this late and to have the same experience that people have had when they've had it in their life for 30 years. You know what I mean? Like that's just it's yeah. a difficult. It's always a difficult thing. Somebody, you know, I I had uh, a friend recently watch a movie I you know loved you know, ever since I was a kid or whatever. And they're like, this movie's just not good. And I'm like, you're a jerk. <laughs> no, <I didn't> say <laughs> but, but it was, but it was one of those things where they just couldn't, they didn't have the nostalgia, the, uh, the experience, just the, the growth of that movie on their life. Like I did. And yeah. you know, it's, it's a 33 year old movie, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You're bound to, you know, and it's like you said earlier on, sometimes things get parodied and, you know, there's an homage to it that you forget that it's the original and you can't, you don't have in your head the ability to give it. It's just deserved for being the first to do it because you've already seen it done before somewhere else. Right. So you can't appreciate it for its originality in, in some senses. And there are the, uh, you know, there are the moments with the, like the prostitution moments in this, uh, where those have been made fun of over and over again in culture. And I was like, oh, okay. And so those were a little weird. I mean, I think those would have been a little weird for me anyway. There is, you know, I think the movie is purposely dealing in the racism of war, which is almost like a natural component of war, you know, like there's this natural component of going to war that is, uh, you know, dehumanizing the other, right? So, yeah. so all that stuff is purposeful, but yeah. Talk a little bit more about why you love this movie. Um, I actually, because of something that you don't like, how it starts off in boot camp and stuff like that, um, I, I appreciate the journey because if it just dropped me off in the war, you know, I think it would feel a lot like every other war I've, film I've ever seen. Even some of the greats, like Saving Private Ryan, it starts you off, you know, you know, right there on, you know, uh, D-Day. And, uh, you know, going up the beach. But this movie starts you off in basic training. So, like the people in this movie, it helps you, obviously not to an authentic extent, but for the sake of the movie, it helps you get that dehumanizing element, you know, like that blood rage within you, you know, it gets that adrenaline going. And then once you get to war, you feel like, okay, this movie's prepared me. Now I am ready to see these guys go to war, you know. Mm-hmm. So it not only dehumanizes the enemy, but it humanizes, and you know, and gives you like a a bond, you know, to and a, a compassion for these guys that you've seen go through the basic training. Yeah. So. No, I I hear what you're saying. And my experience is just a, a a little bit different, only because I have difficulty connecting to a soldier, right? Like that's something I I sure. is already automatically hard for me to understand. Uh, in that way so um so yeah so there's 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 that element of it too but yeah. but you're it's right movies no. like it's like movies like jarhead that are pretty much co- copy paste of full metal jackets just a different war you know mm-hmm. it's desert storm instead of vietnam right but, uh, it's kind of like the saving private ryan uh, is kind of one end of the war movie spectrum where it uses the horror of war to remind us about the beauty of humanity, like what we're willing to sacrifice for each other, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's one end of war movies. And then the other end of war movies is the horror of war to show you 
the humanity that we sacrifice, right? Where it's and it's it's kind of weird that both of those exist by showing you the same thing. They're showing you the same thing with different results. And what I think we have to understand is both things can be true, right? There is a beauty of sacrifice to save. And there's also an ugliness of sacrificing your humanity to kill someone else or to rid the world of another or, you know what I mean? And this movie is very much on the other end of that, where it's, it shows to me the uh that war brings everybody to that ugly side eventually and um so yeah so it's it's i don't know it's it's hard for me to uh to find my way through that sometimes and kind of find that what that balance is and what that means to me very good yeah yep anything else are you glad you officially saw full metal jacket now you feel like uh ah I've seen it. Now I understand what everybody's talking about. You may not love it as much as everybody else, but at least you've seen it now. Because oh. that's that's it's a cathartic moment seeing something on your list of shame. Like, oh, I'm in the know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No one can hold this against me now. Yeah, because honestly, I think the biggest version of that for me was Gattaca. Because so many people have talked about Gattaca. Right. And like, oh, it's one of the best movies ever. And then I'm like, yeah, sure, it's one of the best movies ever. I'll get around to seeing it eventually. And then when I saw it, I'm like, oh, it is one of the best movies ever. But besides that, I left it and I'm like, I've seen it now. So nobody can hold it over my head now. And it's like a relieving feeling finally seeing something. Yeah. On yeah. that list of shame. There, there is something. Um, I, I like checking it off. Uh, I like that I can be in that conversation. The truth is, though, when, you, when you've when you waited this long, you're kind of not in the same conversation, even when people talk about a movie, um, you know, because it's like you have a different... You, you, you saw it with 2020 eyes, whereas other people saw it with their 1987 eyes or their 1990 eyes or, you know, whatever. So it, it, it still becomes a little bit different. But um, I'm... I, I mean, I love movies. I love stories. So... Yeah. You know, as many as I can, uh, I can see the better, especially ones that a lot of people think are great. So, um, yeah, I feel that way. Uh, ready to move on to uh, one that uh, a lot of people think is great that you hadn't seen? Exactly. All right, let's, let's talk. It. Let's talk about Jackie Brown. Now you got to listen to this, man, because this concerns you. All right. You have a chance to walk off a half million dollars. What do a stewardess, a gun runner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con, a federal agent, and a beach bunny have in common? You don't come in on this thing with me. You got to be prepared to go all the way. They're all chasing a half million in cash. When flight attendant Jackie Brown is busted smuggling money for her arms dealer boss, Ordell Robbie, agent Ray Nicolette and detective Mark Dargis want to help her bring down Robbie. Facing jail time for her silence or death for her cooperation, Brown decides instead to double-cross both parties and make off with the smuggled money. Meanwhile, she enlists the help of bondsman Max Cherry, a man who loves her. Uh, yeah, Jackie Brown. This is, of course, Quentin Tarantino. This was 1997, 10 years after Full Metal Jacket. So it's been out 23 uh, years. Um, so uh, explain yourself, sir. Why was this on your list <laughs> of shame? 
Yeah. Um, honestly, it. Believe it or not, there are movies I don't know exist, <laughs> and. Um, everybody said, have you seen all of Quentin Tarantino's movies? And I'm like, yeah, I'd seen, you know, I thought I had. And, uh, it had to have been like 2007 or eight. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, oh, so what do you think of Jackie Brown? I'm like, who? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I don't know who that is. It, Cause I thought they were talking about a person, obviously, cause it's, it's a name. It's a name. And, That's and right. Like, and, and. They're like, no, the movie. I'm like, I haven't seen it. They're like, well, I thought you loved Tarantino. I'm like, yeah, I do like, I love Tarantino. But like, yeah, it's one of his best movies. And immediately, there, I think there's a, a window where somebody introduce, introduces you to something that you could potentially love, where you either see it immediately or you put it off for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, I didn't see it immediately. And then, you know, other things just started piling up and piling up. And I'm like, okay, I'll see it and eventually. And th- it would pop up every now and then. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the one I haven't seen. Oh, yeah, what else? What's it going to do? And then, you know, you just go off and you do it. But thanks to you, I finally, finally got to see it. <laughs> so now, uh, unless there's something I don't know, I have officially seen every single movie Tarantino has directed. Uh, well, let's go through it just to make sure, Andrew. Just just so you can sleep well tonight. Pulp Fiction yeah. was 1994. Or, I'm sorry, Reservoir Dogs was 1992. Pulp Fiction was 94. Then Jackie Seen Brown it. was Tarantino's third movie, 1997. Uh, Kill Bills were 2003 and 2004. Uh, yep. Death Proof, 2007. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, 2009, Django, 2012, Hateful Eight, 2015, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 2019. I have seen every Quentin Tarantino. There movie. you go. Nicely I have not done. seen those two episodes of CSI that he directed. <laughs> you have or haven't? Have not. Or the Jimmy Kimmel episode that he directed. <laughs> right. What is going on? Or the ER episode? What is this guy doing? Is he just bored? Uh, I did see the CSIs that he directed. Um, yeah. I remember, I think he he has a role in them too. Like he's acting in them as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I don't, I don't think I've seen the episode of ER that he did um, right after Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, all right. So now it's uh, my turn. When I first saw this movie, um, it was probably uh, after college. Uh, so again, I I got into more kind of I want to say adult films. Although that that means something completely different to most people. Uh, I got into more <laughs> mature storytelling. <laughs> uh, I got into more mature storytelling uh, after I started watching movies in college. And uh, somebody introduced me to Reservoir Dogs. I hated Reservoir Dogs the first time I saw it. Um, I was just like, why is this Why is this entertaining to people? I don't understand. Um, and I could not uh, eliminate that part of my brain enough to see the directing talent at that point in my life. Um, and so I was not interested in seeing uh, other Tarantino movies. People started raving about... Uh, Pulp Fiction as well, and I was like, "All right, fine." And I was like, "I don't get this one either." <laughs> it was like, "Okay, this is going to be a common thing." Uh, so I did not see any of his movies after that until uh, *Inglorious Bastards* uh, in 2009, and I was like, "Oh, now this is good. Like he's doing some really good stuff there." And also, my eyes have changed; the way I'm watching movies has changed. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I was like, "Okay, I'll go back and watch, uh, you know, Jackie Brown and Kill Bill." And, uh, you know, and see kind of what he's doing there. 
And so I probably watched Jackie Brown for the first time around 2010, 2011, somewhere in that range, uh, which would have been, um, you know, 13 years after it came out. Uh, and I would have been, you know, somewhere around what, 20, yeah, 25, something like that. Um, no, no, no. I would have been 35. Yeah. I'd been like 35 at that time. So, uh, it was one of those things where I still actually came to this late. So in many ways we may have, uh, you know, similar experience in that way. Uh, and I remember thinking it was good. Uh, when I first, uh, watched it, I would say that I fell firmly in the, I liked it category. I thought it was well plotted, all that kind of stuff. And, and I had a, uh, for a Tarantino movie especially, I liked it. Uh, I rewatched it this week in preparation for the show, and um, I'm still right there. I think I'm still firmly right in the uh, liked it category. Uh, I don't know that it's really changed much for me. Um, I think it's it, there's a lot of interesting things that I think we can talk about with this one. Um, but now it's your time, uh, your turn. What did you think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or was it just okay? I am right there with you. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. good movie, right? It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't love it. It's not like a top hundred of all time, but no, I like it. It's definitely not my favorite Tarantino movie. Which is what right now? Uh, Pulp Fiction, maybe Inglorious Bastards. I can't tell. It's, yeah. It's it's one of those. I think Inglorious is back at the top of my list. Uh, Once Upon a Time um, is really good and I think had displaced it, but... That's got to be recency bias, so we'll we'll give it a little more time. But it's it's either Inglorious or Once Upon a Time for me. Yeah. Um, but no, this is a really good movie. Uh, out of all of Tarantino's movies, um, I think that this is the most interesting character that yes. Sam Jackson has played. Yes, I agree, hundred percent. It's the most interesting character. It's not his best performance. I still think that that's in Pulp Fiction. But as far as a character within itself, I think this is the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's just so unlike anything else I'd ever seen him. Yes, the dialogue that he delivers is still the same, but there's a look in his eyes, you know, there's a mannerism change for him that is different enough that I'm like, ooh, Sam, you're doing something here that is fascinating. And he's not even the main uh, character in the movie. It's Pam Greer, who does a great job. I'm not trying to take anything away from her. No, she's great as Jackie Brown. Uh, but there's a huge cast here that you always come to appreciate from Tarantino. Uh, De Niro, who... Has he ever worked with De Niro since this? Or is this the only time? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I I'm think it's the, the only spot. time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the only time. Yeah. Uh, it's probably one of the few movies I can... Anybody's ever seen Bridget Fonda in. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it's a fun, fun good movie uh i gotta be honest though my favorite character in the entire movie it oh sorry my my phone just died on me it's it's robert forster's character max cherry yeah he's my favorite character because i think he's the only character in the movie with that for me i can actually root for because even though the movie's about jackie brown i don't know why i'm supposed to root for her because yeah, she is a smuggler, and her trying to screw over her boss in the feds, that's not something I'm like, oh, yeah, let's see if she can do it, you know? But Robert Forster, he's just, he's a good guy, and he wants the best for, you know, people. And yes, he's in love with this woman. Uh, so you're just like, oh, whatever happened in this movie just 
Max, I just want Max to be okay. And he just gives <laughs> a really good performance. I love Robert Forster. Um, I think he's spectacular in this. I think you're right. I, you know, it, Tarantino has a bad track record with me of introducing me to protagonists that I root for. You know what I mean? He just, yeah, it's, it's hard for me with his movies. And uh, Jackie Brown is, though, I think on... Um, like on the upper echelon of those hard to root fours, like it's a little easier to root for her than, you know, somebody from hate, hateful eight or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Did I even mention hateful eight in, in you his, did. his movies? Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah, it's a very forgettable movie. So I, I do like the Jackie Brown character. I think what we're supposed to root for with her is just the fact that I think we're supposed to feel that she is in a position where she has, no choice but to be this person that the world is, you know, conspiring against her and we're rooting for her to come out on top of all these people who think they have power, all these men who think they have power um, yeah. and that she ends up being the one who actually has power, I think is what we're supposed to go with here. Um, I thought, you know, it was really uh, great at the end that uh, it's not like they ride off into the sunset. They have a kiss and then they go their separate ways and yeah. he's, he's just standing there like with her lipstick all over his lips and just, you know, like what's like, he's just, you can tell the million things that he's thinking about in that moment. And, oh, uh, yeah. It's, and it's her just, as she's driving off too, singing, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like they're both regretting not driving off into the sunset. Yeah. 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 And yet it's probably the right thing. Uh, Lisa Gay Hamilton shows up for a second. It was interesting to see her. Um, uh, Chris Tucker. Oh yeah, Sharonda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Tucker. Uh, there for a little bit before he gets disposed of in a uh, very well shot uh, sequence where the car just goes around oh, the block, around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely one of the more memorable sequences in the movie. Uh, yeah. So I, I got to mention the soundtrack because there's one thing Quentin Tarantino does great for all of his movies. He can score a movie. He can find the perfect music to go with every single scene mm -hmm. and this movie is no exception i love the way he scored this because even though it doesn't take place in the 70s it still has that funkadelicness to it that you just it just makes you like shake your head like mm, yeah let's do this yeah totally agree um and of course bridget fonda's feet make a uh, a really big appearance uh in the movie because quentin tarantino can't help himself he can. Um, <laughs> They're all bejeweled up and everything. We haven't mentioned Michael Keaton hanging out in this movie doing some police work. Oh, uh, yeah. Batman. So so that's good stuff. Yeah, um, him and uh, Michael Bowen just being the, the not DEA, but, uh, you know, the ATF, I think is what it was. Yeah, I think they so, are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, for me, the other thing uh, Tarantino really has a mastery of, and I think it's why a lot of people love him, he has a mastery of big moments. Like he has this, this understanding of how to build cinema to a, a crescendo. Uh, all the stuff that happens in the dress store with the changing room, all that stuff, uh, De Niro and Bridget Fonda coming out and him just shooting her, like that kind of stuff is the stuff I think Tarantino is known for, where it's just like, I can't believe that just happened. And at the same time, yeah, that's exactly what should have just happened. You know, like uh, yeah. exactly what might have just happened in reality, you know, kind of thing. Because yeah. um, I knew he was going to shoot her too. I'm like, oh man, yeah. he's just going to whip around and he's going to shoot her. I'm like, come on, Bridget. 
I, I can see it. Why can't you see it? Why can't you see it? Just leave the man alone. He's going to shoot you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I also love the fact that Tarantino, for that scene in particular, we see everybody's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's one of my favorite storytelling, uh, I don't want to say tropes, but, you know, it's methods, you mm-hmm. know, of the different perspective. I love that. Yeah. And it's and it's utilized very well here. Uh, and in a non, you know, it's non-linear, but in a non-confusing way. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's more, it's actually more linear. This movie is more linear than, you know, a lot of Tarantino stuff, but it does have that, you know, section where it kind of goes to the different perspectives. So yeah, I like yeah. that too. Um, what about negatives? What do you got in the negative category? Uh, I, th- I guess merely my main negative is, uh, the fact that, you know, Jackie Brown, uh, as the main protagonist in this, you know, I just, I didn't care. I, I did care. I did want her to succeed, but my main, you know, uh, character that I cared about was Forster's character, Cherry. Um, so I guess a lack of stakes that could have been, you know, if they would have done something with the story where Jackie Brown was wronged in a certain way, or she was accidentally caught up in this, you know, like she was actually just a good flight attendant and uh, she was, you know, threatened into doing this or something like this, but then she decides to turn it on them. So it's more preferential than, you know, a negative that was done, but no, it's it's a great it's a great movie. I, I like it. It's just you know. Yeah, I not, not my my biggest negative with a lot of Tarantino movies and uh and this one as well. Um it, it's it's interesting because honestly, if you're really into it, this negative can very quickly turn into a positive. So please understand me when I say this. But he gives so much space in his worlds that if you are not locked in you can um, kind of uh, wander off mentally. At least I can, and I, you know, I do find myself in Jackie Brown, feeling like there's a bit, bit of space here and there. Uh, you know, throughout some of the conversations, throughout some of the things. I mean, it's a two and a half hour movie, and it felt like a two and a half hour movie. It is a me. very long movie. So that, that could be a con, yeah. So I, I do, I do think that is the case. Uh, I will finish it on a positive, though. I mean, a positive for me. Um, it's kind of his least violent movie. Like, there's not a lot of like real gore to it or anything like that. There's death and no. violence, but it's it's not. He's not using it in the same way he uses violence in a lot of his other movies. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's not comedic violence, like exaggerated violence. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm even thinking of when Bridget Fonda gets shot. You don't even, you don't even see her. See it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't, you, I don't think you technically see anybody get shot. You can see like what happened. Like I think the closest is a uh, Robert De Niro getting shot in the, you know, but you never, you never see the yes. gun in Sam Jackson's hand. You just see the blood splatter, and right. that's it. Yeah, that is that is the goriest part of the movie is that death, uh, and it's it's. You know, not, nothing compared to any of his other movies. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I think besides the language, this could have been a PG-13 movie. Do you think the... Uh, the? How did you feel about the end? Did you know what was happening? Did you know she had called the police? Did that surprise you? What was what was your experience with kind of that final twist? Uh, I was like, uh, obviously the police are going to be there. Why wouldn't the police be there? I was thinking in my head, like... Uh, uh, what was Sam Jackson's character? Ordell? I'm like, Ordell, mm-hmm. why are you risking this? I'm like, this is 
such an obvious play to get you got. Why would you play into her hand? Yes, you want your money, but at the same time, you know this is a trap. Why are you walking into this? Yeah. So, um, I was I didn't even know it was supposed to be a twist. I'm like, yeah, of course Michael Keaton's going to be there. Yeah. I uh, did think that uh I did think that it was going to be uh Jackie who shot him though. Cuz you know she was practicing, you know. Yeah, that was interesting. That that kind of never went anywhere, but I well, I think that's supposed to throw you off the scent of the twist. Um but Yeah. But yeah, uh, the only nomination from this movie was, or only Academy Award nomination, I should say, was Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Robert Forster. So well deserved. He was yep. the only one that got a nomination uh, for that. Uh, yep. Anything else about this movie that you uh, wanted to mention? No post credits. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to think those are, those are such a thing now, and they really weren't that much of a thing uh, at no. the time. Uh, by the way, not so- until Ferris Bueller. By the way, a uh, reason we didn't mention the uh, nominations for Full Metal Jacket is it didn't have any. Nobody got yeah. nominated for Full Metal Jacket. Um, it did get a Boston Society of Film Critics Award Woo. Uh, for Best Director. So there you go. Way to go, Boston Society of Film Critics. Well done. Uh, all right. So there you go. Our first journey through some members of our lists of shame. Uh, Andrew, I have your list of shame pulled up in front of me. <laughs> okay, um, I have yours. All right, so we now get to uh, to pick uh, another uh, episode of uh, Sif Pop here for what we're going to do next week. So, Are we gonna what do you think? Have a theme, kind of like we did. Well, you know what? Why don't you pick one and let me see if I can theme it up with something on yours? How's that sound? Oh, interesting. S- okay, so see how quickly my um, brain. Will I had work one on that this. I was eyeing, and I'm like, ooh, that would be a fun one for him to uh, to take a look at. Okay. Um. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Okay. Uh, I'm going to list two movies, and then you get to choose which one you want to watch, okay? Ooh, okay, and then I'll I'll pick one that I can theme with something on yours. Okay. All right, here we go. Stand By Me. Ooh, yes. And Leon the Professional. Ooh, Leon the Professional. All right. Um, Two very different movies. That way that it's easier to theme. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. Um, Stand By Me is kind of like a, uh, uh, what do you call those, when, like growing up, um, like coming of age kind yeah, of movie, of right? Movie, yeah, mm-hmm. So let's do Stand By Me as a coming of age film with another classic coming of age film that Andrew has never seen, 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, interesting. Ten now, things I hate about you. You know, I have two choices here that I could go with, and they're actually both uh, great uh, options. I'm I'm going to do... Uh, you know what? I'll let you choose since you let me choose. Okay. I'll let you choose. Ten things I hate about you or Clueless. Oh, definitely clueless. All right, we're I going think with that's clueless. I think that's way more in the the uh, the social you know consciousness. All right, all right, we will go with uh, clueless and stand by me as our uh, list of shame opportunities for next week. 
Uh, that's going to be a ton of fun. Before we get to our buried treasure, uh, I do want to say thank you to our Sif Pop members. You are keeping us going uh, during this time. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for inspiring us to do this series of podcasts uh, while we are waiting for movies to come back to theaters. Uh, we appreciate it. And I should also say... Andrew, if you end up renting or buying a recent movie uh, that are now available on digital, we can certainly chat about those two once we see them. Does that make sense? Like, you know, yeah. whether it be for Buried Treasure or even in the show, um, if there are new movies we've seen, we'll let you know about it. Uh, but obviously, until movies come back to theaters, uh, we're going to have some fun uh, doing this as well. So thank you to our Sif Pop members for uh, inspiring us to do this. And thank you for your support. Uh, it begins at three bucks a month, and you can check it out at patreon.com slash siftpop with a T in the middle. That's siftpop. All right. On to our buried treasure, Andrew. You want me to go first? Please. Um, We got to talk about Tiger King, right? Everybody I is. I knew that's what you were going to talk about. <laughs> I knew that's what you were going to talk about. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, is it though? I mean... Yes. It's captivating. It, thank it's, you. I am I am 100% with you there. It is compelling and captivating. I just can't figure out if it's good. Like, I think it's made fairly well. I just mean, is it a good thing? <laughs> like, it's just... No, it's not a good thing. But man, it's captivating and compelling. And it just... It's 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 addictive. That's the word I was really looking for. It's addictive. You know, I heard somebody say that it's uh, Jerry Springer, the docu series, basically, and <laughs> and there well, is there is something about it that's like that, right? That it's just kind of this testament that humans are weird, man. Like we are. We're so we've all got our eccentricities, and some people's eccentricities are just a. A little, you know, more unaccepted or out there than other people's, and and yeah. I just I don't know. It's just it, it. I don't even know how to put my head around this one in a lot of ways. Yeah, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Joe Exotic. <laughs> really? Did you? No. Now tell me seriously. Did you know who Joe Exotic was when you were a kid, or you just mean you wanted to have like big cats? Um, I don't. Okay, it's a weird thing because you know you see the picture of Joe Exotic where he has you know the the. The Hulk Hogan mullet with that bedazzled jacket and the tiger. And I'm like, I swear I've seen that guy before somewhere. I know I've seen him somewhere. Um, maybe on a billboard. We are close enough to Oklahoma, to his zoo. So maybe we'd seen him on a billboard or something. I don't know. Um, but no, just that that cool 90s, you know, never got, you know, out of that. Back when it was cool to look like that and have a giant yeah. tiger. I'm like, oh, man. That guy's living the life, <laughs> but now now it's more like a uh, a novelty. Like, oh, that's so funny. If just looking at the persona, not you know everything that the documentary goes into or docu series, <laughs> I should say. Yeah, it's a seven episode docu series on Netflix. We should we should say that in case. I mean, every I, it seems like it's everybody's main piece of entertainment so far during the self isolation period. So a lot oh, of people yeah. chatting about it. It's the new uh, making but if you don't know a lot about it, it it's uh, kind of about the crazy conspiratorial world of, you know, private zoos and big cat people, people who collect lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Uh, yeah. It is um, it goes so many crazy different directions. Uh, it goes through uh, polygamy and cults and murder for hire and, uh, you know, suspected, <laughs> suspected murder. Like it just, it's, 
through songwriting and it's just i it's hard to believe this is a real thing and yet i'm assured that it is actually a real thing yeah yeah, yeah. it i uh i did zoom through it because it was so compelling that's for sure i you know the other thing i will say is i guess probably a little bit of a trigger warning just for some people especially animal lovers um it's not easy to think about these animals sometimes in the cages and that kind of thing i know for for people and then also for people who deal with um you know issues of self-harm and violence uh there's a very difficult scene uh in this series uh that i think could trigger some people that i think is worth at least putting out there and mentioning good call yeah so yeah yeah, definitely. I knew that's what you're going to talk about. It <laughs> like, and like very traditional. Like, well, Aaron's going to talk about Tiger King. So what can I come up with? I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you got? Um, I got a podcast. After yes, you, you do. To ours, of course. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yep. My very treasure is a podcast. Aaron, you know I love Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Well, I found a new podcast, kind of like Not Another D&D Podcast. Actually, some of the same people from that one are on this. Combine Dungeons & Dragons with My Hero Academia. Ooh. It's a school. The podcast is, it's a, it's a role-playing you know, game. But it's a school to train adventurers to go out into the world of Dungeons & Dragons. So it's like... There's a person who's training to be a bard or a girl who's training to be, you know, a sorcerer and stuff like that. And it's it's set in, like, a modern era, almost like, a, what was that movie we just did? The the Disney movie is uh, Onward. It's kind of oh, like yeah, yeah. Onward, Onward, where it's a school, but they're, they're not learning, like, you know, normal stuff. They're learning how to hone their craft and stuff like that. It is fascinating. It is hilarious. The voice acting is perfect. You can either watch it on YouTube, like actually watch them play, or you can download the podcast if that's easier for you. The video on YouTube, they actually have like the board set up and you can see the miniatures and stuff like that. It, it makes it for easier to understand what's going on, but still, I think it is amazing. I am already hooked and uh, it started a couple years ago so i got uh, a ways to go to catch up very nice so, what's it called so again it is called dimension 20 all right dimension 20 um that sounds really i've always wondered that i've wondered why there aren't more like uh a role-playing games popping up with the D craze that aren't you know fantasy role-playing games but are more sci-fi role-playing games or you know oh. whatever the case may be uh, there's a new video game coming out soon called Cyberpunk 2027 with Keanu Reeves. It's actually based off of a cyber or a uh, role-playing uh, tabletop game. There are there's Star Wars as a several that I used to play tabletop role-playing. There's there's a bunch, but I think just because D and D is so famous because of you know things like Harmon Quest or Stranger Things, you know stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's really the one that's in people's uh, culture psyche right now. Yeah. Well, there you go. We did it, man. We did yeah. another remote podcast. We made it happen. Woo. Yeah, we did. Thank you for your patience on letting me, you know, get hooked up at the house with internet and stuff. So yeah. Thank and you, everybody. You know, we should continue to say that. We're going to do this, uh, and we should be back to weekly now with Andrew uh, having internet hooked up. But as always, you know, there's a lot unknown during this time. So we'll keep you up to date. And 
keep throwing content your way when we can. Um, so uh, thanks so much for joining us, though. Sif Pop, a part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. If you want to know more about other shows on the network, you can go to studiodna.media or search for Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for joining me once again. Well, thank you, buddy. Thanks to Phil for producing the show. And thanks, Phil. Much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Support starts at 3 bucks a month. It supports not only this podcast, but also the website, some other fun stuff as well. Uh, so thank you for doing that at patreon.com slash siftpop. There's a T in there, siftpop. There are a lot of ways to connect with the podcast. You can comment on it, rate it, leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, email us, feedback at siftpop.com. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear them. Feedback at siftpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too. So let them know about it and that listening is much easier than surviving boot camp under Gunnery Sergeant Harm Hartman. Uh, we will be back next week with some more of our list of shame uh, coming of age edition we'll be doing stand by me as well as clueless we'll see you then bye as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com podcast that's indeed.com podcast terms and conditions apply everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.